0: We're concluding our sermon series on Goliath. In the last six weeks, we've been looking at defeating giants in our lives. And today, we're coming to a conclusion of that series. Last week, finally, Goliath died. Some of you were waiting for you like, is he ever going to die in this sermon series? Well, he did, but that's not the end of the story, and I want to share more of it with you today. A lot of people, all of us, in fact, almost all of us love underdogs. We tend to root for the underdog in a story. Yesterday was a huge college football day. Some of you could care less. Others of you, that was your entire day. There were many people that rooted for some underdog teams, and there were underdog teams that won games that they probably shouldn't have won. Oklahoma is gone. Adios. Coming from Texas, I don't mind at all. We love stories about underdogs that triumph. We love it when the underdog becomes a champion, probably because most of us have watched some movies about underdogs. We can think back to the famous Rocky movies, or how many you like Remember the Titans, or The Mighty Ducks. I'm giving you some great movies. If you haven't seen any of these, you need to go watch them right now. The Karate Kid, not like the new one, but like the original Karate Kid. Go watch the original Karate Kid. It's awesome. I got in trouble at first service because I didn't mention Hoosiers. So that's in there. It's definitely, you gotta go, gotta see it. Incredible, some incredible underdog stories. And underdogs prove that the bigger giants are, the harder they fall. If you grew up in church in the 80s or the 90s, you're probably familiar with the artist named Carmen and a song (laughs) and the album named The Champion. Well, that song tells a story in a boxing-style battle between Jesus and Satan, and it's an epic, dramatic song. I would love to share it with you today, but that would be like the rest of our service because it's not short. But go listen to it. It's amazing. I don't want to ruin it for you, but if you haven't heard, Jesus wins. He's the champion. And today, I want to talk to you about how we can become giant-killing champions. During the last six weeks, we've been looking at the greatest underdog story ever told, the, the story of David and Goliath. We have two armies that are facing off in a valley. Between them, there's this giant Goliath. One week from today, on Sunday, our team will be in the valley where David killed Goliath. I'm super excited about it. All this time... We've been looking at this story, and there's this this giant Goliath challenging the army of Israel on behalf of the Philistine army. No one's been willing to fight, but David is not willing to back down. He ignores the criticism. He rejects the king's way of doing things and the king's armor, and he simply trusts God for the victory. If you were here last week, you know that David went into the valley. He selected five stones from the brook. He ran toward Goliath, and he hit him between the eyes with a stone from his sling, and he killed Goliath. And that's where we're going to pick up today because there's more to the story. Like I said, verse 50 of of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sheram road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Now this is part of the story that you probably didn't learn in Sunday School. I think it's probably because the Sunday School version of the story is the PG version. But David and Goliath is probably not a PG story. It's at least PG-13. It may be rated R for graphic violence. David hits Goliath with a slingshot and the bad giant disappears and everyone lives happily ever after. Is probably closer to what you've heard. But I hate to break it to you, there's there's more to the story. You, You know it's okay for the graphic violence that we see here because there comes a point in every person's life where you're going to have to determine If you're going to let a giant talk you out of God's plan for your life, or if you're going to, once and for all, cut the head off your giant. There are people in David and Goliath's story that should have never allowed a giant to stay. But David determined to kill a giant (coughs) that day. When the entire army was as good as dead, the champion cut off the giant's head. When no one else would stand up, David chose To rise up. When everyone else chose to cower and run, David decided to turn and fight. When everyone else refused to do it, David chose to do what no one else would. When all the other soldiers said no, David chose to go into the valley and run toward his giant. When every single other person looked at the size of their giant, David focused on the size of his God. I want you to look at me today, with me today, at what happens when there's a giant killing champion. When Giants are defeated, the victory isn't forgotten. Last year, the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship for like the first time ever in the history of the organization, right? Winning a sports championship is kind of like killing a Giant, except for it's a temporary win, not an eternal one. Sports teams, they exist to win games and ultimately to win championships. Winning championships requires defeating all the other teams. That's their purpose. This week... The Toronto Raptors, they celebrated their championship victory with their new championship ring that's right there on the screen, you can see it. Their championship rings were the biggest championship rings ever made. These are not any ordinary championship rings. They have 640 diamonds in them, which is more diamonds than any other professional championship ring. Someone just turned to their husband and said, I need an upgrade. This is also the most diamond total carat weight and the largest single diamond included in a championship ring. They did it because they don't ever want to forget, because it's a big deal. Just like killing giants is a big deal. For a sports team, winning a championship is a big deal because they're fulfilling their ultimate and highest purpose. You were made to fulfill God's purpose. Fulfilling God's purpose requires you to kill some giants along the way, and giant killing is a really big deal should never be forgotten about. In ancient Israel, they didn't do championship rings for killing giants as far as I know. But they did do other things to remember big victories. And it wasn't just to remind themselves, but it was also to remember to share it with others. They would often pile up big groups of rocks and huge stones and make a memorial along the way. And as they would pass by, not even just the next week or the next month or the next year, as they would pass by for generations with their children, they would see the pile of stones and they would ask, Dad, what is that? What is that all about? And they would say, sit down, I want to tell you a story of what God has done. It was an opportunity to point back and pass on the big things that God had done in their lives. David didn't have a championship ring, but he did keep a reminder. It says that he took the head of Goliath to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure that they had giant head taxidermies in that day. I'm not sure what he was doing with the head in Jerusalem. What in the world? And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what I think that was all about in a minute. Just keep that on the back burner for now. But David took Goliath's head, but he also took Goliath's weapons. And it says he put them in his tent. And later on in the Bible, we hear that David would actually use Goliath's sword in battle. He would ask someone to give it to him. And he said, there's no other sword like it. I wonder how many times in David's life did he look at that sword and remember the God of his first battle. How many times was he reminded that the battle belongs to the Lord, that it doesn't matter what he had, even when the odds are stacked against him, that God is fighting for him. We need some of that in our world. We need to make some monuments and some reminders to the big things that God has done in our lives. Our kids need to know about them. They need to hear the stories. You need to continue to tell the stories. Our friends and family and neighbors need to know how great of a reminder it must have been for David's family when they looked at Goliath's weapons in their home and remembered what God had done. It's something to get excited about. Remember last week we talked about shouting it from the rooftops that when a giant falls, it's worthy of celebration. And I'm not talking like this little bitty celebration. Like sometimes we get excited in church and we celebrate and we're like, (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Bless your heart. Not some wimpy celebration. We got to celebrate like God just defeated a giant in our life. I'm talking about like a Cuba Gooding junior winning an Oscar celebration. No? You need a reminder? All right, I got one for you. Turn your attention to the screen. This is how we celebrate when giants are defeated. Cuba Gooding Junior. Jr. Should say everybody, and you cut away. I won't be mad at you. Tom said, "Don't forget to thank your wife." I will never forget to thank my high school sweetheart and the mother of my children, Spencer and Mason. I love you, Sarah, and my my parents who are here, Shirley and Cuba, Cuba the first, and uh, I, yeah, and God, I love you. Hallelujah! Thank you, Father God, for putting me through what you put me through, but I'm here and I'm happy. <laughs> um, I just wanna, uh, here we go. Okay, i uh, the studio, I love you, and Cameron Crowe, and uh, Tom Cruise. about something that God did in your life and were determined to share it with everyone that you could that's, that's the, and that's incredible but killing giants is a really big deal and it should never be forgotten the next thing that happens when we become champions is that when giants are defeated the other enemies flee because giant killing sends a message when the Philistines saw their hero was dead they turned and ran what a turn of events What David did wasn't just about him. It wasn't just about Goliath. David put the other enemies on notice. The the Philistine army had been emboldened because Israel was paralyzed by Goliath. Once Goliath was defeated, the tables were turning. You may look at your life and your situation and you think it's just impossible. It's hopeless and helpless. It's not just the giant in front of you, but there's so many other obstacles. There's so many other things. Too many issues. Too many problems. Maybe it seems like there's an army waiting to destroy you. A flood of enemies are surrounding you. I want to encourage you, defeat the giant and watch how the others flee. Isaiah 59, 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Lord's fighting your battle. It doesn't matter how many obstacles or how many enemies that you face, but trust God to defeat the giant and see how the other enemies will flee. The Bible says in James that if we submit to God and resist the devil, that he will flee. Stop submitting to Goliath and submit to God. Resist the devil and watch your enemies run. Defeat the giant and see if there's anyone left that's willing to come against you. Because likely there's not. Becoming a champion not only causes other enemies to flee, but when giants are defeated, fearful warriors start to fight. Because giant killing is contagious says that then the men in Israel and Judah they surged forward and they shouted and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron and and the dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. Isn't it amazing that the soldiers who had just ran terrified every day 40 days in a row day and night two times a day Goliath is coming out and they would walk out there and they'd march out there and they would shout their war cries and then they'd turn and run and hide as soon as Goliath opened his mouth. But now those same fearful soldiers that were unwilling to fight, all of a sudden they're surging forward toward an enemy with a shout and chasing their enemies and mowing them down in the road. You can read more in chapter 18 about the singing and the dancing that happened after this battle. It's amazing. All of a sudden, the voices of criticism weren't criticizing anymore. Why? Because they were doing what they were created to do instead. There was a cause. We aren't created to gossip. We aren't created to murmur and complain. We aren't created to criticize others or to compare ourselves against other people. When we stop doing what we're created to do and we begin to, to do those things, we get distracted and we get prevented from accomplishing our ultimate goal and our purpose. David didn't get distracted by the criticism. He didn't allow other people's thoughts or opinions or comparisons of himself and Goliath to keep him from his purpose. He became a champion, a giant killer, and giant killing is contagious. It caused other soldiers to rise up and fulfill their purpose for their life as well. The principle is that God doesn't waste victories. Your victory will inspire other people to victories as well. You want to know how to spot someone who isn't a leader? They're the, they're, they're the ones that repeatedly complain that no one else is doing their job. They sulk and they whine about what others aren't doing. I get it that you may not like what other people are doing, but I can't imagine that whining is what you're supposed to be doing. The leader isn't the one that complains about others, but the leader is the one that says, I'm running towards my giant. I'm going to set the pace. I'm going to be the example. And all of a sudden, their victory inspires other people to live up to their purpose and fight their giants. If you want to see change in your family or in the people around you, just begin to face Goliath in your life and see if others don't get inspired by your victory and start killing giants of their own. Start to do what others say is impossible and watch the impossible begin to become possible. Why? Because giant killing seems impossible, but giant killing is contagious. There's a name by the, a guy by the name of Igor Sikorsky, and he was told by his parents at age 12 that human flight was impossible. Yet he went on to build the first helicopter. In his American plant, there hangs a sign that reads, According to modern science, the bumblebee can't fly because of the shape and weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee doesn't know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. The impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power that they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, impossible is an opinion, impossible is not a declaration, impossible is a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary, and with our God, impossible is nothing. Oftentimes when you're facing a giant, you become convinced that it's impossible. You can become convinced that no one else can understand what you're going through and that you're the only one that's ever faced a giant like this, and there's no way that it can possibly be defeated. We become convinced that our problems are the first of their kind, the first in the world, or that this is a new thing for God. And I've got news for you. You're not the first person in the world to face that giant. You're not the first one. You're not the only, only one. Others have faced sickness and addiction and depression and abuse and discouragement and failure and debt. But many people have not only faced the giant that you're facing, but they've won. They've defeated that giant If you don't believe me, let me prove it to you here today. I'm going to ask you to help me today. And if you've ever faced or defeated one of these giants that I'm going to mention, I want you to stand up today. And I don't want you to worry about what other people will think. You're sharing your testimony. Your victory is going to inspire other people to fight because giant killing is contagious. So I want you to stand if if you've ever faced or defeated one of these giants. So today, if you've ever faced or defeated the giant of alcoholism, I'd like you to stand up today if you've defeated the giant of addiction I want you to stand up right where you are just stand and remain standing if you've wrestled with the giant of low self-esteem stand up right where you are just stand and stay standing if you've defeated sickness or a diagnosis it's been a giant in your life maybe you had cancer or you've had some other disease stand up right where you are if you have beat fear or anxiety or loneliness I want you to stand right where you are if you've overcome the giant of depression stand up if at some point your marriage was a wreck, it was over, it was, it was done, it was. there's was no more hope for it, but now that marriage is strong and it's a joy, I want you to stand right where you are. If you've seen God show up and fight for you and defeat a giant in your life, maybe it's not one that I've mentioned, but you've overcome a giant through the power of God in your life, would you stand up? Today I want you to look around this room. I want you to see giant defeating champions all around you. Be encouraged today. If you're still seated and you're facing a giant, you're not the first one, you're not the only one. There's others around you that have faced the same giants. Giants are meant to be defeated. Today, maybe you're standing and you've experienced victory in your life over a giant in the past, but you're facing a new giant and you're worried and you're concerned. I want you to remember that that the giant that you killed in the past should never be forgotten. And the same God that empowered you to defeat and kill that giant is the same God that's going to empower you to defeat the giant that's in front of you today. You can be seated for just a moment. I want to wrap up the cliffhanger that I left you with earlier. leave some time for us to pray together. The verse we read above, it says that David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. It's a very interesting verse. When you read the Bible, you can read over interesting things and think, I wonder if that means anything. Or you can be curious and you can look into them. What does it mean that he took the head to Jerusalem? And what what would he have done with it? I know what I would have done with the trophy head of a big elk want to hang that up for everyone to see, right? Like I said, I don't know if there were any giant taxidermists in Israel in those days. I don't know what they did with heads of their enemies that they had, their trophies. I looked it up, what they did with it. The truth is, we don't know all the details, but let me tell you and share with you just a little bit of what we do know. Jerusalem at this time was controlled by David's enemies, so we know that David didn't just walk into the middle of town with Goliath's head and say, There you go, you got to get out. But we do know what people often did when they defeated an enemy is they would decapitate their enemy and they would put them on a hill along the road for everyone to see. They would display their victory to their friends as a reminder, to their enemies. They would display that, sometimes on a hill outside the city for everyone to see. So maybe David took the head of Goliath to a hill outside the city of Jerusalem so that his enemies would know the power of his God. No one really knows when or where the hill Golgotha, which is the place of the skull got its name. But Here's what many scholars believe and I want to share with you today. It's not going too far out on a limb to connect the dots. That David possibly cut off Goliath's head and he took it to a hill outside the city of Jerusalem as a sign to his enemies that God is an all-powerful God. Later David would take back the city of Jerusalem, but the hill outside the city would remain as a reminder, because when giants are defeated, victory isn't forgotten. So, people would see and they would walk walk along, they would walk in and out of the city and they would pass by this hill outside the city, by, by Golgotha, as it was come to be known, the place of the skull, and they would tell their children about the giant that Goliath defeated. And they would remember the victory that David had over Goliath. And it's pretty good. It's an impressive story all on its own, but that's not how the story ends. Some of you are already connecting the dots. You see, in Genesis 3.15, we have our first prophecy of the coming Lord and and Savior Jesus, the Savior of mankind. It says, I will put hostility between you and Satan and the woman. In between your seed and her seed and he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. The crushing of Satan's head is our first clue as to why Jesus was crucified on Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. Many years later there would be a descendant of David, Jesus, that would end up being referred to as the son of David. Jesus would end up being sentenced to death and his death sentence was to be crucified on a hill outside the city, Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. The place that was significant because it was a reminder of the past victory, but now it would be more than just a victory over Goliath. Now the significance was to show the victory over God's enemy, Satan, thus fulfilling the prophecy as the nails were driven into Jesus' heel. That Satan would bruise his heel and the remainder of the prophecy filled as Jesus was lifted above the ground, the place of the skull, crushing the head of Satan. Jesus was literally in a position over his enemies, over the giants of evil. It's a reminder to us because when giants are defeated, the victory isn't forgotten. We have what David never had. David trusted the Lord for his giant to be defeated before Jesus was ever born. Before Jesus ever lived and died and was crucified. Before he ever conquered death and hell and the grave. We have so much more than David ever had. But I wonder, do we have the faith that he had at all? a reminder to us of Jesus' victory on our behalf over death, hell, and the grave. Because of that, the victory that we have through Jesus, our giants can be defeated. We have salvation and healing and forgiveness and freedom and more. Dead things are brought to life. The enemy is defeated beneath our feet. And I believe that giants can be defeated today. Will you stand with me today as we conclude? Billy Graham was once asked, about some stories in the Bible that are hard to believe. He said, do you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? And he answered, i believe if the Bible said that Jonah himself swallowed the whale. He said, it's not difficult to believe in miracles if you believe in a God of miracles. Impossible is nothing when we serve a God of the impossible. Giants will fall. We serve an undefeated, all-powerful, giant-defeating God. I want you to listen to David's prayer in Psalm 143 that correlates to his victory over Goliath. He said this, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hid myself in you. I want you to know today that God is not leading you into the valley to be defeated. God is not matching you up against a giant so that you will fail. This giant that you're facing will not have the final word. God is using a giant to make you a champion, an overcomer, more than a conqueror. Giants are meant to be defeated. And today we're going to pray with you that we would see them defeated. In just a minute, I'm going to invite you to come forward and spread out here across the front, and we're going to pray. I don't want you to worry about anyone else that's here or what anyone else is doing. We're just going to focus on what God wants to do, and we're going to pray and believe. And this is not a prayer that I believe is just for one or two specific people that are here. I believe that many of us are facing giants. We saw just a minute ago, many of us have defeated giants, but almost all of us in our lives, if we haven't just finished, defeating a giant we're probably facing a giant that needs to be defeated and I believe that God's presence is here to defeat giants in our lives we've been spending time this week in prayer and in fasting and believing God and I'm going to challenge you if you're willing to step into the valley and face your giant, if you're willing for your giant to be defeated if you have the faith that the that enabled David to defeat Goliath, the same God that empowered Jesus to crush the head of of Satan, our enemy, to conquer death, hell, and the grave once and for all. If you are willing to put your trust in him, you can see your giant defeated. I believe we can see some defeated today. I believe that today we can begin the process and we'll be hearing over the next several days and weeks and months how giants have fallen in people's lives. The giant will not have the final word. You have to decide though, that now is the time to fight your giant. You have to decide that you're not going to follow the pattern of the armies of Israel that would line up and they would face their giant and would shout their war cries, but when it came time to fight, they would run and hide. No, it's time to face your giant. It's time to run toward your giant. Many of you have been standing up for five weeks acknowledging that you have a giant in your life that you want to see defeated. If you're willing to decide now is the time, we're going to pray for giants today. Some of you are facing a giant of loneliness, or a giant of depression, or a giant of discouragement. I believe someone here is dealing with a giant of comparison. You feel unqualified or even inadequate when you compare yourself to other people. For others, there's a giant of debt, financial problems. It's a giant that can be defeated. There's a giant maybe in your marriage or other relationships. Some of you are facing a giant in the form of a diagnosis or sickness. There's giants of addiction, giants of doubt and unbelief. Some of you are paralyzed by giants of fear and anxiety and you've allowed worry to set up a stronghold in your life. Maybe that you're dealing with a giant of shame that's reminding you of your past failures and mistakes. God is greater than any one of those giants here today. None of them stand a chance. Stop looking at the size of your giant and trust the size of your God. I want to encourage you today, mom and dad, young man, young lady, it's time to defeat some giants in your life. It's time to take authority over the things in your life that have been taking authority from you. It's time to say enough is enough. I'm facing my giant. I'm defeating my giant. I'm not gonna let a giant talk me out of God's plan for my life. If you're done being attacked by a giant and you're ready to allow God to attack the giant on your behalf, then I'm gonna encourage you to prepare to get get out of your seat and to come down. Come around one of these altars. Maybe you wanna stand. Maybe you wanna kneel. Maybe you wanna lift your hands. Whatever it is. But I want to encourage you today not to do it from your seat. There's something that happens when we change our posture. David had to walk into the valley. He had to pick up the stones. He had to put the stones in his sling. And then it was through the power of God that the giant was defeated in his life. There's something that happens when we walk down an aisle. We say, God, I'm all in. I'm giving you my life. I'm asking you to move on my behalf. I want to see this giant defeated. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to lead us in this chorus, and then I'm going to invite you to come and find a place up front, around one of these altars, standing, sitting, kneeling, whatever you want to do. But I want you to come forward and do it. And I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for every person here that's willing to come forward and say, I want to see my giant defeated in my life today. Heavenly Father, we trust you. It's not by our might, it's not by our power, it's not by our authority, but, Lord, it's through your spirit, and your spirit's here. Lord, you're here in a powerful way. You didn't come just to play church today. You didn't come just to sing a couple songs and and hear some good words. Lord, you came to meet us, to encounter us, to, to victoriously defeat giants in the lives of people. Lord, we want to see you move in our lives. Lord, we believe and we declare that giants are going to be defeated in our lives and giants are going to be defeated in our families and in our community and in this church. That there is no giant that will stand before our God. But we trust you. Today, would you move with the way that you desire to move? Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' name.